everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Happy New Year. Let's now begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all together again this morning to worship you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we've been able to bring into remembrance the fact that you sent your Son and he became born of a woman, the God-man, in order that he may die for our sins. We thank you that you raised him up from the dead on the third day and that you, he ascended into heaven and is seated at your right hand. And that whoever simply believes in him, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, will never perish but have eternal life. Father, as we begin this new year, we would ask that once again the Holy Spirit would help us dedicate our hearts and our lives to, to your will and, and, and to understand that we are here to love one another and preach the gospel. And Father, we ask this morning also that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us as we continue to study in the Gospel of John. And we also pray for the needs of all the saints this morning, especially those who are in most difficult circumstances. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. If you could please stand now, and we will have a congregation song to begin. Your love forever. 
You may be seated and we'll begin our service at this time. A couple of announcements. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday, January 8th. I know this is the first Sunday of the month, but since it's literally the first day of the year, and I know some people may not have been able to get here this morning, next next Sunday. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of service next Sunday, January 8th. Today's message, the title of it is, If You Believe, You Will See the Glory of God. If You Believe, You Will See the Glory of God. Please turn in your Bibles now to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 1. John, chapter 11, verse 1. This morning, we are going to read the entire account in the Gospel of John of the Lord Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to read the entire passage, the entire narrative this morning. And as I do, I invite you to enter the narrative. Place yourself at the scene in Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Come to his tomb. Perhaps you're one of the disciples who accompanied Jesus from Bethany beyond the Jordan to Bethany near Jerusalem. Or maybe you're Martha or Mary. Or perhaps you're one of the Jews who had come from Jerusalem to console Martha and Mary. But whoever you are, I ask you to join this story. And we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 11. Join me as we follow Jesus to the tomb of the dead man, Lazarus. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus has spoken of his death. But they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. And so Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, 
when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard that, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. Such a gripping drama. The great issues of life and death are here. Love and grief, suspense and amazement, they're all here. This is the seventh and the greatest and the final sign miracle that John records in his gospel. Jesus performed many miracles, many signs, many works, but of them, John selected seven in order to demonstrate who Jesus is so that all who who see these things and hear of them will believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But this one, the seventh one, 
is the greatest miracle short of the resurrection of Jesus. Whoops. Excuse me for a second. So this is the seventh and the final sign miracle that John records. Greatest one short of the resurrection of Jesus. The raising of Lazarus was volcanic, seismic. Nothing would be the same after that. Not for Jesus, not for his disciples, not for the people in Jerusalem, not for the leadership in Jerusalem, not for Satan. This was, again, the greatest miracle. But, you know, if Jesus hadn't said the name Lazarus and just said, come forth, do you realize that all the bodies in the tomb would have come forth at that moment? Because <laughs> he did say earlier on that, that you know, when I, I will speak my voice and those who are in the grave shall rise. But, of course, it wasn't time for all of them. Well, this being the first Sunday of the year, I thought this morning that we would just consider some simple lessons from this incredible event, but lessons that we can take with us as we go today and forward. The first one is simply the importance of prayer, the importance of prayer. We see prayer at the very beginning in verse three, when the sisters simply said to Jesus, sent word to Jesus, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. It was an appeal to Jesus as their Lord. That was prayer. That's how this all started, actually. And then it ends the same way. At the end, right before Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, in verse 41, we find out that he also prayed. Not only had Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that that their brother was sick, Jesus also prayed. And and again, he says in verse 41, Jesus, Jesus raised his eyes in prayer. And he said, Father, I thank you. His prayer was gratitude for what he knew God the Father would do, but also that he knows that the Father always hears him. This is something all of us can do. This is the point. We see an amazing miracle, and we think that no one could ever do that short of the Son of God. And that's true, although we're going to see actually who did it this morning. I'll put that aside for a minute. But we can all do this. We can all pray. We can all thank God for things because prayers for us. It is a it is a demonstration of our faith. But even that is for us. God doesn't need our prayers. God doesn't need our faith. We do. But Jesus also prayed. He thanked God for hearing his prayer. He knew he always did. But he did it for another reason, of course, in verse 42. He said, I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Isn't that the whole message of Jesus Christ here in the Gospel of John, that I am the one who was sent by the Father to be the Lamb of God who saves the people. I am the one who was sent by the Father as the Jewish Messiah. I was the one, I am the one who was sent by the Father. I am his son. I do the things that he tells me to do. I say the words that he tells me to say. Always in this gospel, particularly pointing back to the father, no matter what he was saying, no matter what he was doing. And here he knew that the father had heard him. He knew what the father was going to do. The father raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, Jesus, again, 
everything that Jesus does is 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 human. It's things that we could do. That's that's part of the story here is to understand that beyond understanding the miracle, once we understand that the Father performed the miracle and that what Jesus did was be obedient right, and ask, then I think that adds a whole new dimension to how we what we can take away from this. And it's really simple. It's a really simple principle. And that is that prayer is a gift. I want to stop for a minute because I think sometimes we reverse that. I think sometimes we feel that prayer is a debt that we owe the Father. That if I don't pray, I'm doing something, I'm bad. If I don't pray, then I didn't start off my day right. Well, that part's true. But the reason is, is not because the Father is waiting for your prayer and saying that, oh, he better pray today or she better pray today, but rather that it's a gift. It's a tremendous gift. It, it, it allows us to participate in the work of God even though we are incapable of doing any of the things, but because we enter into prayer, which he allows us to, which he prompts us to do, we now participate in a very wonderful way in some of the work that God is doing. So it's a gift for us, and it is essential. I mean, I mean, the, the movement of this narrative, as a, as a sense, hinges on, in the sense of things moving forward, on prayer prayer of Martha and Mary, the prayer of the Lord Jesus. And that, again, there's nothing there that we can't do. We can ask for things that we need. We can thank the Father. We can have confidence, the assurance that something we hope for can be, can be, can be brought to pass because of who our Father is. It's essential for us. And here, the, a prayer came, Martha and Mary asking him, indirectly to, to, to heal his bro- their brother, and the Lord acted. Jesus prayed and the Father acted. I want to caution you. It's not because the action depended on the prayer. See, that's where we get confused. That's where you get the, the, you know, the name it and claim it. If I pray, it will happen, almost like magic. You know, God's not going to move until I pray. Well, that's nonsense. God is sovereign. He'll move when he decides to move. See, see, prayer is a gift for us. And, and God ordained in this story the prayer of Martha and Mary and the prayer of the Lord to be exactly the way it was. But for, but for one reason, and, and Jesus touches on it here, it's really so that, so that faith may be increased and God may be glorified. That's what prayer is all about, that we would have more confidence in, in, in who our father is, in his power, his knowledge, his love, and not, and also that we may enter into the work that he's doing. And in, in that sense, we become vessels by whom God can reveal his glory, through whom. We don't, we don't, we're going to, we're going to see this. Yeah. We don't, it, you know, the phrase, I, I gave God the glory or I glorified God, that's wrongheaded. I know people mean well, and I understand their hearts. But for example, okay, if you're if you're a football quarterback, right, and you just scored a touchdown, right? Well, well, it's a glorious moment. But who's a glorious moment for? Let's be real, for the quarterback, and for them to him to say I, I'm glorifying God is saying that something I'm doing 
is the is the way in which God is being glorified. And that's all wrong. That's completely wrong. It's always something that God is doing. Usually when we're at our weakest, that gives glory to God. We're going to come back to that. So the prayer is ordained in order to be exactly the way it was. We're given the opportunity. We enter into it in order that God may be glorified. That's it. Well, that's not quite it, because also so that we as children might see more of the power of prayer and that our faith may be strengthened. Now, faith is something where you might think about it and say, but I thought that, you know, there's no there is nothing meritorious in our faith. Well, that's absolutely true. You know, particularly when we're unbelievers. Right. And, uh, and for salvation. OK, that is a one shot deal. Right? There's nothing there's nothing um, that we actually do. It's actually God giving us the ability to believe, opening our eyes to the truth. OK, in our hearts, we we recognize the truth and and we believe it's true. We take God at his word. After we're saved, though, we have we not have to we have the privilege of continuing to have that kind of a life. And and the fact remains that when we participate, when we practice believing in the things that the word of God has to say, we really do get more confidence, assurance, strength. I mean, after all, in Hebrews chapter chapter 11, faith is the confidence, the substance of things hoped for. Well, that substance, that is for believers now, can grow. It can grow. Our awareness of what how God acts, our awareness of the incredible promises that he's given to us, that can expand and grow for believers now. It's got nothing to do with salvation. Really, you know, nothing to do with um, our relationship with God because our relationship with God in its essence is completely established by the cross of Jesus Christ in our faith, one shot believing in him. But we continue to learn as we as we pray, we continue to learn about the power of prayer. And that's the other reason. So I asked this morning that these two testimonies of prayer, one by Martha and Mary, the other by the Lord himself, would strengthen our faith and the power of prayer. That's the first lesson that we can learn this morning. The second one concerns death. Concerns death. You know, if we learn anything from this story, it is this. The Lord came to earth ultimately to conquer death itself. To conquer death itself. That's why he came. He came, he came, we can see it here, that he, that he, he was moved with pity, with love for the, for the family of the death of the, of the deceased Lazarus. He was also, remember, moved with, with anger. Anger, not at unbelief of people, not at, not at, uh, one thing, anger at why death was among the human race and that the fact that Satan had come on the scene and attempted the woman and tempted the man and then he brings death to pass. Well, God came, the Jesus came to reverse that, to reverse that so that, so that we could go from death to life. If there's anything that we learn from this, it is that Jesus came to earth to conquer death in all of its forms, physical, spiritual. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. 
Hebrews chapter 2. I don't have a slide for that. Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The power of prayer, overcoming of death. Hebrews 2, 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, the Son of God, likewise also partook of the same, what, flesh and blood? That through death, through his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. That's why he came. That by dying, he would render powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Of course, that is a description of the, of the human race. The human race, absent faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I might add. Because we don't have to be afraid of death. In fact, that's actually the lesson here. See, remember, it starts out when Jesus is telling the disciples, we're going back to Judea and they say, Jerusalem. And they say to him, that, that can't be. They, they were just trying to kill you there. Why are you going back? And, and of course, from, from the words that Thomas says, we can see clearly that they weren't just worried about Jesus being killed. They were worried about themselves being killed. As a matter of fact, Thomas said, I'm brave. Okay, I'm going to die. Let's go die. Right? But but I hope, and we don't know. Actually, we do know. It's unfortunate. But I hope that once they went, once they saw a man who already was in the state that they were so afraid of being into, which is dead and in a grave, and Jesus, well, the power of the Father and Jesus' prayer brings that that person out of the grave, all fear should have been banished forever. This, you know, we, this, this truly is this son of God, this, his God, the father, our God can do anything. He can do the impossible. There's no reason to be afraid of anything anymore. See, see, once we understand and Jesus came to conquer death and he did, and we know that that's true, even though, we, we, we also know that the greatest fear anybody can have is the fear of death and that Jesus has conquered death. The fact is, whether we grasp this or not, once we learn this lesson, we need not fear any evil again. That's the second lesson. That's the lesson that the disciples should have learned but really didn't because if they did, they wouldn't have run away, for example, when Jesus was uh, being arrested. But we should learn it. Once, you know, see this morning, that's why I asked you to enter into the story and be there and walk with Jesus, maybe experience some of the fear that the disciples had about returning there, going there, seeing the, seeing the results of death, seeing the people mourning and grieving and the pain of death. And then Jesus coming on the scene and he's, he is entering into the pain of death as a means of, of, of mercy and for, for, his, for the people he loved. And then to see him, actually, even at the beginning, though they probably didn't pick up on it, he said, this is not going to end in death. My father is going to be glorified. They get there. They're at the tomb. He, he thanks his father. And then it happens. Well, from that moment, they should have learned the lesson. 
There was nothing they need to be afraid of. And Jesus said that again and again. Do not fear. Where's your faith? Do not fear. And he says that to us. The same message. Yes, you may be facing death this morning. Do not be afraid. You may be facing something short of death. Do not be afraid. You may be facing going back to work on Tuesday and there's something there you don't want to deal with. Don't be afraid. He'll be there. When Tuesday comes, he'll be there. That's that's what Jesus meant by are there not 12 hours in the day. Right. In other words, it's covered. Our, Our day is covered. The works that the Lord has ordained for us to do. He has put that into our day. You see, it's only at night. And, and of course, the night refers to the fact that when for us anyway, when when uh, the, the, the the ability to work is over because the father is also ordained that that's when we need to be aware of how it is that we've got to just rest and and put it, you know, and not think that we can do something that God hasn't asked us to do. But we don't need to fear evil anymore. So we have prayer and we have death. <laughs> And the third great lesson this morning is love. It's the lesson of love. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He loved his disciples. But because of his love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in particular, he was really, really, this is just humanity, deeply troubled by seeing pain, the pain of death in their lives. But he loved them, and part of loving him was actually allowing this to go forward, not interceding too soon, but allowing the full impact of death to play it out, play itself out, so they would understand, here it is. Here's the dreadful enemy. Our worst fears have come to pass. And because he loved them, he let it happen. Seems strange from a human point of view. But from God's point of view, it makes perfect sense. Why? Because we're going to continue to face difficulty and sin and pain and suffering. But if we learn this lesson that no matter what we go through, he's there for us, when our faith is strengthened, then we are we are empowered to go through the next thing that's going to happen. That's love to allow someone to get through that. And he loved, he did. So he was he loved the disciples enough to do something that 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 hurt them or that seemed like it was going to in order that their faith may be strengthened. And most importantly, he loved his father. And his greatest desire every day of his life was that his father be glorified. So all of that love comes together at the tomb. The love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the love for the disciples, the love for us and the love for his father all comes together at the tomb. And because of that, we learn the lesson. Love is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Love is even more powerful. God's love. Love is more powerful than death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to death so that we may have eternal life. We who believe may have life, not death. Love is more powerful than death. We're not going to go to Song of Solomon 8, but you can read it. That's exactly what it says. Love is as strong as death. We are going to go right now, however, to 1 John chapter 4. Prayer is a gift, is essential. Jesus came to overcome death forever, and he did. And love is powerful. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. 
when we're done today, we're done. Probably going to be a little early. That's intentional. I, I Anybody who got up this morning and came here, I admire. And I wanna, obviously, we're here to learn the word of God and be changed by it. But I'm not going to, you know, say, well, you know, I, they got to get there 50 minutes. Right? That's just not. I do that sometimes, not, not today. First John 4, 16. We have come to know. See that? We have come to know. That's the that's why we're alive, really, so that we may come to know more and more about this great God who saved us. We have come to know and have believed. Notice they're together. That's how it works. You know something, you believe it. You know something, you, you trust that what God, we take God at his word, and then we realize something new. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Now, that's a simple statement, isn't it? God loves us, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Simple, childlike. But I'll tell you something. There's times in your life when probably the last thing, naturally speaking, that you sense at that moment is that God loves you. Because maybe you did something terrible. Maybe you've had a string of bad luck. Maybe you think that you listen, unfortunately, to the the flaming arrows. Right. Our our battle here. Right. It's not against other people. It's literally against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Well, well, when their arrows penetrate, it hurts. And the whole idea of it is to throw us off our mentality, to, to stop resting and trusting. And so we need to be reminded again and again and again that God simply loves us and he always will. But we have to come to know that and we have to believe that. God is love. God is love. If you want to understand who God is, you need to understand that he's love and that his love has been demonstrated in the most powerful way possible when he when he when Jesus Christ died for us that's love man can have no, no a person can have no greater love because it's god than to give up his life for his friends that's how you know love it's it's not it's not, it's not a, a card a nice statement inside it's the it's the willingness and sometimes the action of sacrifice on behalf of others. Since God did that, we know how much he loves us. And now that we are with Jesus, he's not going to deny us any good thing. But it takes a lifetime sometimes to get that through our thick skulls. But it also takes what we're doing this morning, which is to be reminded of these things. Bring these things to remembrance. Take them with you during the day. Turn to 1 John 4.16, again and again and again, as long as you need it, as much as you need it. Know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is, notice this, perfected with us. See, see love is just not a fact, it is a fact. But it's not one of those facts you memorize, one of the statements of doctrine. OK, actually, no, you abide in it, meaning you rest in it. You have a you, day by day, hour by hour. 
it's critical to you. All right. And then when you do that, you're actually abiding, resting in God. And God is in God is in us, but he also abides in us, meaning that we understand he's there on a moment by moment basis. We don't we it's true, but we don't we don't understand that if we're not abiding in, in love and abiding in him. By this, love is perfected with us. Okay? It is a, there's a process. There's a, we, we need to have love grow and be perfected and understand the, the, the wonder of it and, the, and the, the, the completion of the love God has for us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. See, see actually, it doesn't say that we may, the things may work out, does it, in the day of judgment. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not the judgment a great white throne, not a judgment whether we're, whether you're going to be brought into the into into the heavenly life or whether you're going to be condemned to the lake of fire. We're past that. There's no condemnation, but there is an evaluation, and it's going to be what it's going to be. I mean, Paul said, "You know what? I think I'm doing okay, but I don't really know. I'm not going to know until I get there, because the only one who really knows is God. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to do what He has to say." So the issue is confidence. And what that confidence is, is very simple. When love is perfected with us, we know the character and nature of God. We know that he knows that we're but dust. We know that he loved us so much he gave us his only son. We know that he's working for us. And the more we have confidence in that fact of his love and what he's doing and has done, that means on the day of judgment, we're going to be just fine in terms of confidence in the, set, in the sense that this is a resolution of things. This is this is this is a great way of having everything in my life summed up and seen for what it really was. Not so much what I did, of course, but what he did. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So, so that he is love. So also are we love. We are his we are the ambassadors of his love in this world. But here's the key, verse 18. There is almost no fear in love. There's only a little fear in love. Are we awake? Are we looking at verse 18 right now? There is what? No, no fear. Zero. Out. Banish. Gone. See, not only do we have the fact that Jesus conquered death, we also come to know the love which God has for us, which is behind the, his act of death. When we have that, there's no fear anymore. And it's not, it isn't even really something that, you know, I have to work myself out of fear. I have to summon up courage. No. When you come to know and believe and are perfected by the love that God has for you, you won't be afraid of anything. We're on our way. This is why you need to know we've come to know. It's, it's a process. It's being perfected. But when it's there, there's no fear. But this perfect love, this mature love itself casts out the fear. You know, that's why the, the Christian way of life is not overcoming the negative parts of us. We can't. We cannot overcome the negative parts of us. We cannot. All we can do is walk by faith, by means of the spirit. But when we're headed in that direction, then we just leave the negative to God. You see, we don't try to change ourselves. We try to become, we try to live as who we've been made to be by God in the new man. And we don't worry about trying to get rid of the old stuff. It's already done. We have died. When are we going to get that through our thick skull? We have died. Our old man is crucified with Christ. Leave that beside. 
Leave that back. Let the Lord handle that. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. See, the secret of banishing fear from our hearts is real simple. Realize how much God loves you. And that's all you need. Beatles had it right. All you need is love. You know, it's really true what the what the what the Jews around Jesus were saying. See how he loved him. Right. Well, let's apply that to us. See how he loves you. Nothing will ever separate you from that. His love. The fourth and final lesson this morning is the lesson of glory. Glory. Glory is a very misunderstood thing, even among Christians, even perhaps especially. And in order to kind of drive home this point this morning, I've got a question for you to ponder. All right, here it is. Through whom was God glorified by more that day? Thomas or Lazarus? Through whom was God glorified by more that day? Thomas or Lazarus? Yeah, it might seem like a strange question. Actually, on both sides, on the one hand, you say, you know, he can't be the quarterback. He's in the grave, right? Thomas acted more like the quarterback, right? We're going to die with you, man. We got courage. What a glorious thing to say. Lazarus was in the tomb. It, people will think pretty glorious. Like Thomas was willing to die with Christ. He was bold. It's giving glory to God. He had courage. That's giving glory to God. The world is impressed with that kind of thing. But that's not God's idea of glory at all. Why? Because as you just said, Lazarus brought far more glory to the Lord that day than did Thomas or any of the disciples or anybody else. Think about it. By far, blew away anybody else in the matter of God being glorified through a person that day. Not even a close. Hmm. Interesting. He was. But wait a minute. How did Lazarus glorify God? What did he do? Ponder that for a minute. What did he do? To glorify God. He did one thing. No, he did one thing. He died. He died. And he remained there for four days, which is the typical thing that corpses do. Right? He died, and he's the one who brings glory to God. That was his job. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It's not as if we do something great, produce some glory for ourselves, and then hand it over to God. <laughs> Isn't that the idea a lot of people have about glory? I'll do something good. I'll be getting all this glory. I'm like, stop, time out. I'm going to give a little of that to God. <laughs> right? That's the human idea of it. It's backwards. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
or power is perfected in the end zone. Know what it says? Weakness. Think about that. What I, how, how You couldn't get more unlike how the world thinks, but in that statement. Power is made greater by, by weakness. 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 Yeah. And, and Paul goes on. See, Paul's in a situation where he's, he's got something wrong with him, some kind of an attack, a thorn in the flesh, a, 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 someone from, from Satan, a, a, a demon or something that's just making him miserable, making him feel weak and powerless. And he goes on. He says, I now know not only that your power is perfected in my weakness, but I'm because I know that I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast when I fumble the football. I mean, I'm just making it, you know, given the fact there's a lot of football going on right now, and I watched a couple of games. But it's when we fumble the football that we should boast about. Think about that. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast when I, when, I, when I wasn't able to do what I thought was the thing that would give glory to God. I'm going to boast when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm being tortured and squeezed by life and can't do a thing sometimes. When I'm in the prison of my life, that's when I'm going to boast about that. Why? So that the real glory may come on the scene, that the power of Christ might dwell in me. You see, God is glorified through our weakness, not our strength. God is glorified through our weakness, not our strength. Never mind Lazarus. What was the moment on this earth of maximum glory to God ever? The cross. What? 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 I, I hate to put it this way, but what did Jesus do that day? He died. He was weak. As weak as weak could be. He was naked. He was dying on the most miserable kind of death. He couldn't do a thing. He couldn't move. He could, all he could do was speak. And he died. And that was the greatest glory that God has ever displayed in this universe. God is glorified through our weakness, not through our strength. See, the idea of glory is not that we do great things for God. It's a total misunderstanding. The idea of glory is that he does great things for us. That's glory. That's his glory. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Notice who acts in this passage. Talking about you and I, okay, and, and, and the kind of power that works in our life. Notice Ephesians 3.20. Now to him, to God, who is able to do, he does it. What? Far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. See, if we thought, if it was up to us, we would have some concept. Okay, if I do that, I'm going to glorify God. Wrong. He's able to do far more abundantly anything, not only that we ask or could ever think, according to the power, his power, that works within us. His power does it. To him be the glory. See it? It's what God is able to do. It's what he has done within us. That's glory. Let him, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Back to the tomb. Of Lazarus. While Lazarus brought glory to God that day, 
It was actually Jesus that day, not on the cross I'm talking about, but that day when Lazarus came out of that tomb. Jesus brought the most glory of all to the father that day, to his father that day. But what did he do? What did Jesus do? I'm going to tell you, but think about that question. How did Jesus glorify God? Remember, I took pains to emphasize Jesus did not perform the miracle of bringing Lazarus out of that tomb. God the Father did that. What did Jesus do? Well, I I would suggest perhaps there was four things that he did. The first one is, strangely enough, he glorified God by remaining in Bethany beyond the Jordan for two more days. Think about that. All he did was remain. I'm staying here. And that glorified God, turns out, glorified God. Because by doing that, Lazarus would be dead, buried, and in the ground for four days. And God needed that. You know, that was how he was going to demonstrate his glory. So what did Jesus do? He remained in Bethany beyond the Jordan for two more days. That's the first thing. The second one, and it's important too, is to walk in the right direction. Right? He didn't walk away from Jerusalem. He walked towards it. But see, you and I can do that too. God can make it clear the direction he wants us to go in walk by means of the spirit go in that direction and you won't fill out carry out the desires of the flesh you won't walk in that direction so there are wrong and right directions to walk in life but it doesn't take a miracle it just takes what faith in what god has said god has said that i believe that i'm going to head in the right direction jesus did that and we can do that and the third thing prayer that's what jesus did that day he prayed to the father He thanked the Father. So remain where you are for a little longer. Walk in the right direction. Pray. And then the fourth thing that he did, and this is important too, was to speak the truth. Speak the word of God. And no matter what the consequences may be, let the chips fall where they may. Remain. This is what he did now. Because God was glorified because he wrote, raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus remained in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, for two more days. Jesus walked in, then in the right direction. Jesus prayed, and he spoke the truth, no matter the consequences. Let's check out three things that he said. Okay, all of which has to do with the glory of God being on display. Look at John 11.4. Go back to the Gospel of John. He said this. He said this. Okay, he spoke the words. Can you do that? Yeah. Do you have the ability to speak the truth of God's word? Yeah. Do you have the ability to pray? Do you have the ability to remain where God has placed you for a little while longer? Yes. Do you have the ability to go in the direction God has asked you to go in? Okay. That's good. Here's what Jesus said, verse four. But when Jesus heard this, he said, said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified by it. That's what he said. He said the truth. Look at verse 25. He said this. Again, this is building the the, the glory of God being on the scene through what he said. It's God's words. He just spoke them. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, 
even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> There's three words that are emphasized. Two words, actually. What are they? What word, what word does he say a lot in this passage? What? Believe, right? He believes in me. Everyone who lives and believes in me. Do you believe? And what's the other one? Yes, life. You will live. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Never die. Simple stuff. Live. Have faith. Verse 40, though, the greatest statements, of course, in terms of the bringing things to a climactic, glorious thing that glorifies God. Jesus said to her, this is Martha again. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What did Martha do to glorify God that day? Believe. What did Jesus do? Spoke the truth, no matter what the consequences. They removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. I didn't have to say that for you or for me. I said it because of the people standing around so that they may believe believe that you sent me. And then when he said these things, then he cried out. Lazarus come forth and Lazarus did. Her father raised Lazarus that day. Who did? The father did. God the father. What did Jesus do? Yes. He, he, he remained where he was. He prayed. He handed in the right direction. He spoke the truth. Or to, to sum it all up, he did what his father told him to do. That's what he did. You see, God is the one who is going to work the great works of your life, all our lives. He's going to work the great works of our lives. So we should just figure out that we should just do what he tells us. Do what he tells us. God says in his word, love one another as I have loved you. He will do the work. What are we supposed to do? What he tells us. Sometimes it's remain where you are. Always walk in the right direction, pray, and you too can speak the truth of God's word, no matter what the consequences. Well, there were others there that day who saw the glory of God. They saw it. This is an interesting concept. What did people do to see the glory of God that day? I'm telling you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You will see it. Others saw the glory of God that day. What did they do? They believed. And what did they believe? Simple. Jesus, Jesus was sent by the Father. Took him at his word. Jesus was sent. And because they saw that and believed it, then they saw the glory of God that day. They didn't climb a mountain to go see the glory of God. They didn't start a ministry. So they, they didn't do that. They didn't speak in tongues. They simply believed. And the faith of Martha by no means caused the glory of God to show up. The fact is that the glory of God was there for all to see. All to see. And this is true now. This is true today. This is true for you and true for me. Glory of God is here for all to see. But like then, so now, not everyone sees it. Why? Because they didn't believe it could be there. That's why. When they came, when it came, they missed it. The star in the east that the Magi followed was in the sky for all to see. Not just them. 
But the Magi were the ones who were watching for it, looking for it. Why? Because they believed it was going to be there and because they knew what it meant when it did. And that's what we are to do. It's really simple. If we believe, we will see the glory of God as well. You know, actually, come to think of it, we're, we are just like Lazarus. We've died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How do we glorify God? We live our lives now by faith in the Son of God. He is our life, and the rest is up to God. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning once again for allowing us to enter into this great narrative of life and death and pain and glory. We thank you, Father, that not only can we enter in, that we can come out and live our lives refreshed and renewed with new lessons to put into practice, that, that you have, your son has conquered death and that prayer is, is a gift and that love is more powerful than death and that you are glorified in our weakness, not in our strength. As we leave this morning, Father, we again, again just ask that the Holy Spirit may help us with these things. And it's, how, it's your word that we come to know and have believe in the Spirit is at work in all those things. Otherwise, we couldn't even do that. But we thank you for him, too. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed until Thursday, or I expect every one of you to be here because, you know, no.